Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas, a wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at ozarkfolkcenter.com. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a really special show for you this week because we will feature the fine musical duo from Missouri, Kathy Barton and Dave Para. Also on our show, author and historian Brooks Blevins will present his last in a series of three Ozark Civil War ballads. And I'll be visiting with my buddy Mark Jones about a song performed by his mom and dad in 1973. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. I challenge you to find a finer old-time musical duo than this week's guests, Kathy Barton and Dave Para. For over 35 years, they've honed their musical craft. Kathy playing clawhammer banjo and hammered dulcimer, Dave with his flawless guitar, and both with their sweet vocal harmonies. They've visited us many times here in Mountain View and always amaze us with their repertoire of old-time songs. Here they are on the stage at the Ozark Folk Center. Say, part, have you sighted a schooner Way out on the Santa Fe Trail? Well, it may get here Monday or sooner With a water keg tied to its tail There's Pappy and Ma on the mule seat And somewhere along by the way A little toe-headed gal on a pinto just a jangling for old Santa Fe. Like an acre of sunflowers And a little brown quirt in her hand She mounted her pinto so airy And rode like she carried the mail And her eyes now set fire to the prairie Way out on the Santa Fe Trail yo Acquainted with the high-flying order 
I sometimes kiss some girls goodnight. But law, they're all fruffles and beating, and afternoon tea by the pail, compared to that sort of stampeding that I got on the Santa Fe Trail. Yo Girl, it's unwise, and it's shorter from hell to hilary than it is on the Santa Fe ride. I'll maybe reach plumbers by sundown, where a camp may be made in the swale, and I'll run on a gal on a pinto, lay out on the Santa Fe trail. Yo. My dad was in the military, and what do you say when you're an army brat? I've lived in a lot of different places. I was born in Georgia, lived in Kentucky, Virginia, Hawaii for a while, but I've been in Missouri since since 1967. Oh, I grew up in the Chicago area, and I came to MU in Columbia, where Kathy lived, uh, to the University of Missouri there, and then I just kind of stayed. <laughs> I met Kathy, and then I'm, you know, going back to Missouri, going back to Chicago. So, and we came, started coming down here, and I came down in seven, 1973, I think, just out of high school. I saw um, that National Geographic did a series of different kind of ethnic musics LPs back in those days, and they did one called Music of the Ozarks. And I just fell in love with it because not only did it have great music, but it also had pictures of the musicians down here. And there was one picture of the whole Rack and Sack Folklore Society. And they were all holding some kind of instrument or the other. And I said, I love that. I, I want to be where that, that kind of music's going on. And I came down here, and that's where I first heard the auto harp. That's where I first heard a hammer dulcimer. That's where I first heard the mountain dulcimer. All, the, all three of those, hammered in mountain dulcimer and auto harp here. So this has had a very and big impact she, she on me. how to play, and she had a real flamboyant style on the banjo. And we'll try to get some of that as much as we can and play it Cousin Emmy style. So this is a song that Grandpa had wanted me to learn called Johnny Booker. Do Johnny Booker up, do do me do do 
number of times a year we would head down here just for whatever reason possible to play and and then we finally worked down here Ramona Jones gave me a job you know working at grandpa's place that was the little music store and gift shop that was there first and then later on I worked and then Dave and I both together worked at the grandpa Jones dinner theater and so we've we've been good friends with Kathy, the Jones family for Kathy a long time Kathy worked with Bill McNeil, yeah, Bill McNeil one McNeil. summer I was sort of like an archivist for a while working for, for Bill McNeil, so. So, yeah, so it was a, there was a time when we, you know, came down here. Kathy's mother loved to come down here and knew a lot of people, and. You know, yeah. but they but were the, wonderful, the, wonderful. That had a big folks. impact. If you were looking, you know, for, you know, traditional things and, you know, played by the, the real thing, you know, they were, that was really something. And yet, a sense of, you know, of being on a show as well, but still.
I didn't I didn't learn directly from anyone in my family playing music. I learned a little bit from my sister who played guitar, but my dad loved music. And my dad built 14 hammer dulcimers. He made five or six mountain dulcimers and a banjo even. And he did that just for the love of the music. Um, but he never really was interested in playing himself, but he loved hearing us play. You know, that really thrilled him. And, and uh, my mom and dad both were big encouragers, I'd say. But as far as learning directly, I didn't. What I had to do was to go learn from people in the community. And I would say in my life, Taylor McBain, like Dave cited, was one big influence at home. Grandpa Jones was a big influence. Grandpa and Ramona both were big influences on not only our playing, our performing, we learned a lot about performing from watching the two of them. And we oh, learned a lot of repertoire and a lot a lot of my banjo playing. You can hear a little side, little bits of Grandpa in, in that and Mark, too. Okay, we'll do a couple of tunes here for you. Um, the first one is, uh, I think it's an Appalachian tune, really, uh, called Pretty Betty Martin. And that's uh, followed up by a tune called Chinkapin Hunting.
Missouri River Valley folk musicians Kathy Barton and Dave Parra, singing Along the Santa Fe Trail, Johnny Booker, then playing a medley of French-Canadian tunes, The Grand Chain, Edmund Paraiso, Real de Montebello, and the St. Antoine's Reel. Kathy and Dave closed that set with a couple of old American fiddle tunes, Pretty Betty Martin and Chinkapin Hunting. After a short break, I'll be back with my friend Mark Jones for this week's Blast from the Past. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. that part of our show where I like to go down to the vault and visit my buddy Mark Jones and see if he's found some good stuff for us to listen to this week. Let's go on down to the vault right now. Hey, Mark, how's it going down here? Oh, Dave, it's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Man, you got a pile of stuff here to work with, don't you? I do. I huh. do. It's a lot of fun to walk through here and look. It brings back a lot of memories. I'll bet. Well, what have you got for us this week? I found a recording of my mom and dad the first weekend of the Folk Center being open. That would be Grandpa and Ramona Jones, your mom and dad, huh? Yes, it, it is. Well, and uh, they're doing a song called Kentucky. Kentucky. Your dad was born in Kentucky, wasn't he? Yes, he was at, uh, at Niagara, Niagara, Kentucky. Kentucky huh? It's right south of Henderson. Of course, your dad worked on early radio back when radio was just getting going, really. He was singing live on country radio shows. That's true. He started with uh, Bradley Kincaid many years ago. He was like 22. When yeah, he... I think it was Bradley that gave him his uh, nickname of Grandpa, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, what I heard that he was, uh, your dad was grumpy because he had to get up to do the real early morning radio shows, and Bradley called him Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Well, what what they would do is go out and they would play their radio show in the morning, and then they would drive. And back then, there was no interstates. There was no four lanes. It was all gravel roads. And they would drive out and play some little schoolhouse or something out in the who knows where, you know. But they'd end up driving two, three hundred miles sometimes. And when they got back, it would be getting real close to the time for the radio show. So Dad didn't get any sleep, and he was, his voice is, you know, I guess that's where I get my voice when I get tired. I can, I sound like I'm 200-year-old. <laughs> well, let's listen to uh, your mom and dad, Grandpa and Ramona Jones, singing Kentucky.
Kentucky. You are the dearest place outside of heaven to me. Kentucky, I miss your laurel and your the tree. On a graceful mountain so high For that is where God will look for me Gosh, Mark, that was beautiful. Beautiful harmony your folks had. Yes, they did. They worked together a long time. That was probably your mom playing the mandolin and your dad on guitar, huh? It was. That was really nice to listen to. And that was recorded when? That was recorded uh, in 1973. Now, your folks didn't live here yet then, did they? No. Uh, In earlier than that, earlier years than that, Jimmy Driftwood had asked Dad if he would help teach folk music here at the school that they were setting up, which is the Ozark Folk Center. Now, it was to be a school or a university kind of thing, and they were going to teach just folk music. Wow. And uh, then, of course, Dad agreed to do that, and all of a sudden, then hee-haw started, and he got involved in that real heavily. And so the plans were changed, but he still comes came back here as much as he could. He also, they had a house here and a gift shop, a dinner theater, and all that. Yeah, they, that was later on in the, what, the late 70s, I guess. Uh, mid to late 70s. It was a big part in their life. They enjoyed Mountain View a whole lot. Well, Mark, thanks a lot for finding that great old song for us. Thank you. Let's get back to some more great music from this week's guests, Kathy Barton and Dave Para. Not only have Kathy and Dave performed all across the United States, as well as several trips to Europe, they've also played music on riverboats up and down the Mississippi and Ohio rivers. Here's another set of their songs, starting with Skipping on the Mississippi Dew. Sidewheel steamboat, pilot house stove, and engine room brass. Hanging on a post on the main deck stairway, long hair skipping on the Mississippi Dew. Well, the river run wide, run deep, run muddy. The river run long after I am gone. Steamboat wheel around a big white band, skipping on the Mississippi Dew. Sunday, 12 feet of water at the Memphis gauge. Wouldn't be home without the paddle wheel rolling, paddle wheel skipping on the Mississippi Dew. Oh, the river run wide, run deep, run muddy. The river run long after I am gone. Steamboat wheel around a big white man, skipping on the Mississippi Dew. 
come spring, I'd work on the river. 39 days on a valley line boat. Make a little money, get a springtime chicky. Take off skipping on the Mississippi too. River run long after, after I am gone. gone. Steamboat wheel around a big white van, skipping on the Mississippi too. The river run long after I am gone. Steamboat wheel around a big white bend. Skip it on the Mississippi. Thank you very much. Too, because my dad being in the military, he traveled a lot when I was young. He'd be gone a lot, you know, and so my mom kind of raised us for a, a good portion of that time. But what my dad would do is whatever country he visited, and he went all over the world, he would always bring back music from that country. That was something he brought back for us, and I just loved it. So he brought back Japanese music, Korean music, Thai music, whatever it might be, and I would just sit there and listen to it. So I think that was an influence to getting me interested in traditional music, you know, of, of some kind. So that plus, I'm sure, the folk revival going on, you know, those things were all mm -hmm. coalescing at that point in time. So I was getting interested in the music before I ever actually um, played. I, I was hearing this stuff first, and I just said, whatever it takes, I'm going to learn it. And I remember people showing me how to do the Fralin stroke. Okay, and then once I got it, you know, it was like taken off. You know, it was just great fun, and I, I, I never looked back and, and always loved it. I mean, that's been one of the greatest joys of my life, i got to say.
Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's like this this music is meant to be shared. And and I, I we both feel strongly about it. That's why we do a lot of work now and have since 1981. We've been doing work in schools um, sharing this. That's why the concept of the Ozark Folk Center is right where my head is. This is, you know, oh, yeah. I think this is of, of huge importance that you have a, a state park that is all about the people and the culture and passing it on. That is so important because if you don't keep passing it on, then somewhere along the line it, it, it dries up and dies out. And this way you keep it going. You keep it going and pass it on to the next generation. So we work in schools. We do school assemblies. We do residences. And we always talk about Mountain View because I have kids. We have kids making mouth bows. I learned to play that from Leo Rainey and Jimmy Driftwood. When I first when I first came down here, yeah, Leo Rainey, and we're still doing that. We've made over two thousand of them in the state oh, of Missouri kids. at this point with kids. Square dance, couples in a line, not to be confused with line dancing, but um, those were came west from New England, and, and so. Um, but these first two are kind of new. The first one is called Accordion Crimes, and uh, it's written by an accordion player after his. Uh, anyway, and uh, the second one is called The Dancing Bear. That's by a by, the, by Bob McQuillan, who's written a lot of tunes in New England. And the last one is a Is a tune that's sometimes word. called Railroad Across the Rocky Mountains. Got a lot of different names, but in Missouri, it's called Marmaduke's Hornpipe. And it was either named for uh, the Confederate uh, General John S. Marmaduke, or it was named for his papa, uh, Meredith Miles Marmaduke. So we don't know for sure, but anyway, it's a popular tune called Marmaduke's Hornpipe.
That was Kathy Barton and Dave Parra playing Skipping on the Mississippi Dew, When I Went For to Take My Leave, and a medley of Accordion Crimes, The Dancing Bear, and Marmaduke's Hornpipe. After the break, we'll hear from folklorist Brooks Blevins about the Civil War ballad, The Battle of Prairie Grove. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Through fields of blood we waded, our cannon loud did roar, till many a brave commander lay bleeding in his gore, and heaps of mangled soldiers upon the field did lay that had been killed or wounded from the 19th Iowaway. So wrote an eyewitness to the bloodiest single day of the Civil War in the Ozarks. In this final installment of our three-part series on Ozark Civil War ballads, we go back in the hills to Washington County, Arkansas in 1862, it's the Battle of Prairie Grove and a Yankee Soldier's Ballad. In the aftermath of the Union victory at Pea Ridge in March 1862, the Confederate Army that lost that battle left the state of Arkansas entirely, crossing the Mississippi to join the effort to stop Ulysses S. Grant. The tall task of forming another Southern Army in the state and of ridding Arkansas of Union invaders fell to General Thomas C. Hindman. The former politician went to work with an almost reckless drive and using North America's first draft law, managed to raise a formidable, if poorly supplied army of about 12,000 soldiers. On the northern side of the war was the new Army of the Frontier in Missouri. Its two largest divisions were under the respective command of Generals James G. Blunt and Francis J. Herron. In the fall of 1862, the Army of the Frontier pushed Confederate forces out of southwestern Missouri and all the way down into the Arkansas River Valley. General Blunt's division stayed in Arkansas while the rest of the Army of the Frontier returned to Missouri. Part of Blunt's division tangled with part of Heinemann's rebel army at the Battle of Cane Hill in late November. Realizing that his army was roughly twice the size of Blunt's Union division, General Heinemann decided to take his rebels back over the Boston Mountains and attack the Yankee troops in hopes of driving them out of Arkansas and retaking the area from Fayetteville to Bentonville for the south. Delayed by the necessity of ferrying most of his troops across the Arkansas River and then traversing the rugged, steep terrain of the Boston Mountains, Heinemann and his men made slow progress and arrived in the vicinity of Blunt's troops at Cane Hill about two days behind schedule. It would turn out to be a costly delay for the Southerners. Union patrols had detected the Confederate Army's movement on December 3rd. An anxious General Blunt sent riders up to Elkhorn Tavern on the old Pea Ridge battlefield. It was a stroke of good luck for Blunt that the Union Army had recently restrung the telegraph wire from Springfield down to the tavern. 
In almost no time, word reached Springfield that reinforcements were needed in northwestern Arkansas on the double quick, and General Herron had his division of the Army of the Frontier on the march within a few hours of receiving the telegram. When General Hindman approached Cane Hill on the evening of December 6th, he was understandably shocked to learn that Herron's blue-clad division was already in Fayetteville, less than 20 miles away. Instead of abandoning his plan of attack, the Confederate general changed the plan and decided to march most of his troops toward Fayetteville under cover of darkness and strike Herron's road-weary soldiers at dawn before the two Union divisions could unite. The result was the Battle of Prairie Grove, about 10 miles southwest of Fayetteville, on December the 7th, 1862. Though outnumbered more than two to one, Heron's tired troops and skillful artillery held off the rebel attack until General Blunt's army heard the commotion and rushed to the scene. The two sides fought to a draw on the battlefield. Almost one in eight of the roughly 22,000 troops at Prairie Grove was dead, wounded, captured, or missing at the end of the day. Running low on food and ammunition, General Hindman and his rebel army retreated southward to the Arkansas Valley, leaving the Union troops in control of the field and in control of northwestern Arkansas. It would be the last pitched battle between two large armies on the soil of the Ozarks. After Prairie Grove, the story of the Civil War in the Ozarks became one of brutal guerrilla warfare, occasional rebel raids into Missouri, and suffering on the home front. The Battle of Prairie Grove Ballad, set to the melody of the popular wartime song When Johnny Comes Marching Home, has traditionally been attributed to a John N. Wyatt of the 19th Iowa Infantry Regiment. But according to Civil War records, there was no John N. Wyatt or any other Wyatt in the 19th Iowa, nor was there any Union soldier identified specifically as John N. Wyatt. There were a few other John Wyatts who served in other Iowa regiments, but none of those regiments fought at Prairie Grove. Perhaps the real author was Private John M. Wyatt, who about a month after the battle enlisted in the Federal 1st Arkansas Cavalry, which fought alongside the 19th Iowa at Prairie Grove. He was a bugler after all. He could have heard battle stories from comrades and, as an archie, would have had no qualms about rhyming lay with Iowa. We may never know for sure who wrote the Battle of Prairie Grove, but we do know who performed the version we're about to hear. This is Sarah Jo Finley of Leslie, Arkansas, accompanying herself on the banjo, performing the Battle of Prairie Grove at the Leslie Homecoming on June 13, 1963. The recording was made by collector John Quincy Wolfe Jr. and is preserved by Lyon College on the John Quincy Wolfe Folklore Collection website. Next morning we were sorry to see those rebels' wives a-hunting their dead husbands, their melancholy cries. And sisters finding brothers, they wrung their hands and cried, Oh, my dear bloody brothers, yes, for southern rights you died. Now the battle, it's over, our men rest from their toil. We carefully buried all our dead beneath the southern soil. We buried them in order as formed on dress parade and placed a board at each man's head to show where he was laid. Thanks, Brooks. Let's get back out on the stage with our friends Kathy Barton and Dave Para. 
In this set, they'll play two medleys, the growling old man and the cackling old woman, and the zipper. And down the river I go, Uncle Joe, followed by a fiddle tune with a little help from yours truly, John Stinson's number two. Well, I'm going to do a tune here, uh, a couple of tunes on the hammered dulcimer. The first one's an old one. The first one's also a, a, a French-Canadian tune this time. You know, some fiddle tunes I'd learn almost just for the titles. And this one is called The Growling Old Man and the Cackling Old Woman. And uh, the second one is a tune, it's a new tune this time, and it's one um, called The Zipper. And uh, I thought this was originally named for The Zipper on Clothing, but it's not. It's actually named for a carnival ride. So that'll kind of make the, the tune make sense here.
yeah, that's, that's the main thing. It's I mean, you can study it, and it has it does have cultural roots and veins, and it 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 can really um, uh, and uh, enrich your understanding of history and American culture. It's great. You can get a great reading list out of out of the stuff, but primarily, it is just really fun to sit and play music, especially with somebody else or with a group of people. And, and I said, there's, there's something, yeah, that, it's it's that. It's also you know. the fact that you're singing <laughs> songs or doing tunes that you know have been around a long time. And there's something I think really neat about doing a song that's had, as I like to say, a lot of people's fingerprints have been on it before you ever got to it, you know? Yeah. It's been around a long time. And I just think that's kind of neat to do, a song that could go back to the 1600s, you know? That's just neat to neat to me to think about that. You know, it's fun. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've just always loved it. Since I was since I was a little kid, I've always liked folk music. Always. We're going to do a tune here to end up, a tune called Down the River I Go, Uncle Joe. Not very much sophisticated in the way of these lyrics, um, so don't look for any deep meaning. Um, it ain't there. Um, but this is just a heck of a lot of fun to, to sing and play.
That's Dave Perrin and Kathy Barton. It's been a real pleasure for me this week to present the fine music of my friends Kathy Barton and Dave Perra. If you get a chance to hear them playing live, don't miss it. You'll be glad you did. And you may have noticed that we started this show off by ringing a cowbell. That's because we use that same bell to start our live shows here at the Ozark Folk Center State Park. If you're planning to visit us here in Mountain View, drop us a line and we'll arrange for you to ring the bell to start our live show. And thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, see us on Facebook or visit us at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. This is Dave Smith. See you next week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974, and by Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. More information online at ArkansasStateParks.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.